Well, good morning. I find it really interesting and actually really exciting that our students are able to be a part of this series called Veterans of Faith. See, a veteran of faith we have, we have talked about is somebody who is able to remain faithful to God through the ups and downs when they hit hard times that they remain consistently faithful to God. See, I've been a, a Christian since I was a young boy. That's been about 30 years. But I know that there are people in this room who have been faithfully serving God 40, 50, 60 plus years. So if that's you, I want to thank you. I want to learn from you. We want to grow with you. I want that to be me. And I know that that's what these students want as well. You see, when I think of veterans of faith, I think about my parents who have been faithfully serving Jesus my whole life. Um, and they have been in the ups and downs of, of marriage and parenting and job change and cancer and disease. They have been faithful to God. I think about my, my, my wife's grandparents who have been faithful to God for, for decades, for, for so, so long. They've been faithfully attending Appleton Alliance Church for decades. And there's one more person I want to acknowledge this morning who we would consider a veteran of faith. And that's Pastor Steve Grunlin. Pastor Steve Grunlin passed away this past week. And he has left a legacy for all of us. He is someone that we would say he finished strong. He, is, he met Jesus and Jesus said, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he has left a legacy. Now, we are all a part of that legacy because Pastor Steve Grunlin was the, the pastor here at Appleton Alliance Church before Pastor Dennis came in, became our lead pastor. So, so just acknowledge and know that you are a part of a legacy of a veteran of faith. And we wanna keep his wife Sandy and his family and his friends in our prayers, in our thoughts, in the next coming days, weeks, even months and years as they grieve that loss. Now what I want to do this morning is, is be able to span the generations. We've got people here who would maybe you'd consider yourself a, gener a, a veteran of faith and then you've got people here that are just younger trying to figure it out. So what I want to do today is I want to just, I want to do something that's going to unite us a little bit. So I want to play a song and I want you to, as I play this song, I want you to think about when did you first hear this song? Do you recognize this song? And then we'll go from there. So let's play this song. Some of you are thinking, oh, this brings back that memory, or it brings back that one thing. It's okay, you can move. It's okay. You can fade that out. We don't need to play the whole song. Now, we all, some sort of thing comes into our minds when we hear that song. For some of you, this, this song is called Spirit in the Sky. It was, came out, released in 1969. Some of you remember when this came out. I don't. Uh, but I remember, I remember hearing this song when I was watching the movie Apollo 13. Right? That's, that's what comes to my mind. And, and I'm watching Apollo 13, which is, which is all about a, a failed expedition to the moon. And so the astronauts, they, they raise out of the uh, Earth's atmosphere and then they get into space and then they do an interview on the news. And this is the song that's playing in the background. 
Now, some of you, you instantly thought of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Because you are a Marvel superhero fan, and this is a, this is a part of that soundtrack as well. And so, so, so this song spans generations, spans decades. Some of you may know the answer to this, but who wrote Spirit in the Sky? Not many people know. We all hear, we recognize the song is very popular, but not many of us know who wrote that song. His name is Norman Greenbaum. Norman Greenbaum. Sounds like a politician, right? Uh, But here's the thing. Norman was what we call a one-hit wonder. Someone who who rose to fame with one big hit and then fell out of fame just as quickly as they came in to fame. And and, and that's what I would consider a one-hit wonder. Now, what we want to do today, what I want to do today is to help acknowledge and try to figure out how do we keep ourselves from becoming a one-hit wonder when it comes to our faith. What is that going to look like? What is, what is that going to be for us? We've been using this verse that's been in the video. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So, so how do we persevere under trial? How do we stand the test? How will we receive the crown of life? And that's what I want to discover today. Now this is ever important for our young people today because our young people today, depending on what statistic you listen to, about half of the people that grow up with faith Will, will then reject their faith moving into adulthood. And so it's really important for us to try, to try to identify and figure this out. Now, for some of you, that was your story. For some of you, maybe that's your kid's story. Maybe it's your older sibling's story. Maybe you're afraid that's gonna be your story. And so I want to actually take a look at the historical account of a veteran of faith. A veteran of faith. I wanna take a look at the person of Daniel. Yes, Daniel of Daniel and the lion's den, Daniel. And sometimes because we think Daniel and the lion's den, maybe he was just this one-hit wonder who, who, who came on and he did something really great for God, but was he truly a veteran of faith? How did Daniel become a veteran of faith? So Daniel was an Israelite. Israel was God's chosen people. Who were, who were meant to reflect the image of God to the rest of the world. Now, in, in Daniel's part of Israel's history, the Israelites stopped reflecting the image of God to the rest of the world, and they started to rebel against God. And because of that rebellion, this enemy, this enemy nation called Babylon came in, and they destroyed their homes. And, and, and even worse than that, they destroyed the temple in Jerusalem where God, the Spirit of God, lived and dwelled among the people. And the people were then taken captive, removed from Jerusalem, and put into Babylon. And they were put into Babylon. Now, Babylon was, a, was a, an extremely pagan and immoral place. It was very different than Jerusalem. See, in in Jerusalem, they had their own religious beliefs. They had their own laws that that came from God. In in Jerusalem, they had the, the temple where this Holy Spirit of God dwelt among the people. And every part of their religious belief, every part of their belief and relationship with God dictated every law that they were to follow, how they interact with God, how they interact with people. See, in Babylon... They had their own, their own religious practices. They had idol worship. 
They had, they had mythology that, that, would, that, that, that they would learn and, 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 and that would dictate their value systems, their belief systems, and all of their laws came out of their religious beliefs. And so we have to ask ourselves, how does Daniel or anyone who grew up going to the temple to worship God now remain faithful in a pagan and a moral place? And I think about our young people today, and I think, how could kids who grow up in faith, who grow up learning who Jesus is and worshiping God, remain faithful in a culture like today? See, our culture is driven by success and, and, and performance, and there are so many pressures on our kids today. There are pressures in academic success and athletic success and success in the arts, even professional success and how you would turn out. Even for us as adults, there's success in parenting in our jobs and what we do with our lives. In addition to that, our, our culture is a highly sexualized culture, and, it's, and, and, and there's wide-sweeping access to pornography, and sexual immorality is, is, is a, is, be, has become a natural part of growing up. And then on top of all that, our culture is a highly connected culture. You see, because of our ease to connection, it accelerates relationship pressures. And we live in a culture where your appearance and your social, your, your, your social status, who you know and who knows you matters. And not only that, it's measured widespread through social media. So we have to ask ourselves, how can anyone become a veteran of faith in this culture? Well, Daniel can teach us a little bit about that. You see, Daniel, when he entered into captivity, he was a teenager. When he came into Babylon, he was a teenager. And, 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 and if you fast forward to the story of Daniel's and the lion's den and Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was in his 80s. He, was, he, had, he had been living in Babylon for most of his entire life. For over 60 years, he lived in Babylon and he tried to remain faithful to the one true God. You see, he, he was a very successful man. As we'll read, he was successful in politics. He, in, in, in the beginning, he learned all about Babylon and what it took to be successful in Babylon. He was a very successful person, had a very successful political career because his career spanned three kings and two empires. He, he served under King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire. He served under King Belteshazzar, under the... the uh, Babylonian Empire, and then the Persians came in and took over, and now he serves under King Darius of the Persian Empire. And so he has had a lot of success, but has he remained faithful? So I want to read from Daniel chapter 6, the beginning of the story of Daniel and the lion's den. It says this, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. So basically there was the king, 
Then there were three administrators. Daniel was one of the administrators, and there were two other guys, right? And underneath each one of those, there were 40 satraps that, that were, were provincial, uh, regional leaders in government, okay? And, and, and the king was about to promote Daniel, one of the administrators, to oversee all of it, to be like his right-hand man, to be kind of the number two guy. And all of these administrators and satraps were, were jealous. They wanted the promotion. And so they said, we need to trick Daniel. We need to get Daniel fired. But because Daniel had so many exceptional qualities, he wasn't, he wasn't negligent, he wasn't corrupt, they weren't gonna trap him in his standard of government affairs. But they told themselves, we need to trap Daniel. We need to get Daniel, we need to get at Daniel. And so, and so we, uh, we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, this is what they say. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. See, Daniel not only was a veteran of faith, not only remained faithful to God from his teenage years into his 80s, while living in a horribly pagan in a moral culture, he also had a reputation of being faithful to God. See, they knew that, you know what, we're not going to be able to trap Daniel in his government affairs. We're not going to be able to trap Daniel. He's good at what he does. He's not corrupt. He's not negligent. But we could trap him because he is faithful to God. If we could convince the king to create a new law that would prevent Daniel from praying to his God, then we could trap him. We could get him out of the way, and so that's what they did. They, they, they convinced King Darius to create a law that said that you cannot worship or pray to anyone besides the king. And if you did, you would be thrown into the lion's den. You would be devoured by lions. So Daniel was at this crossroads. You ever been at a crossroads in life? Daniel was at a crossroads. He could either pledge his allegiance to the king of, of Persia and get a promotion that he's probably worked for his whole life, he probably earned and deserved, or he could pledge his allegiance to the one true God of Israel and lose his life. Now, we, I have never faced that crossroads. I've never been in that place. You have probably not come to a crossroads in your life where that's what you've had to decide, but you probably have been at a crossroads where you have had to decide, am I going to, going to uh, follow what this world says? and then gain a worldly benefit from it? Or do I going to follow God and actually lose a worldly benefit? See, we do this a lot. We, we decide to lie because we get the benefit of not getting in trouble, right? We might choose to cheat so that we could maintain a 4.0 grade point average that would set us off on a, on, a, on, a, on a track of success. We may choose to cheat and maybe cut corners in business because we would actually get the, the worldly benefit of success in our company or in our, in our, in our, in our things. You know, we, we might choose to, to gossip or put somebody down so that we could maintain popularity and influence. You know, there are so many things that we choose to do. We are at a crossroads. We say, do the right thing and lose the worldly benefit or do the wrong thing, but you'd gain worldly benefit. And this was where Daniel was at. But here's, here's what I want you to know this morning. You were at a crossroads way before this crossroads. Whatever circumstance maybe you're, is in your mind when you're thinking, wow, I've got a decision to make, you were at a crossroads way before this crossroads. Let me, let me explain that through Daniel. 
See, when Daniel, this is what Daniel did as soon as he heard of this new law. Verse, verse 10 says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. See, he chose to remain faithful to God. He chose to, 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 to remain faithful to God, even though death was at his door. He chose to remain faithful to God. And, and, and one thing I want to let you know is that Dan, Daniel had done this many times before. It says that he had got down and gave thanks and prayed just as he had done before. He had made this decision before. He had been faced with life, with, with, with promotion before. In Daniel chapter 1, he was in a part of this Babylonian training school, and if he were to, and he was learning all of the different things he was supposed to learn to be successful in Babylon. But they said, here are the foods that you need to eat, and he knew that those foods were going to defile himself, so he said, I'm not going to eat those foods. And he probably should have gotten kicked out of this Babylonian training school, which would have actually, would have, would have actually derailed his whole future. But he chose to follow God, and it made a drastic impact for his future. You see, Daniel knew, Daniel was a veteran of faith because he knew who his king was. Daniel was a veteran of faith because he knew who his king was, where his allegiance truly fell. Now, when it comes to crossroads, I want to I tell you one more thing. The more consistent your decision at a crossroads, the less you'll find yourself at a crossroads. The more consistent you make a decision at a crossroads, the, more you, less, the, the less you'll find yourself at a crossroads. Think about it this way. I'm not so sure Daniel was really even at a crossroads. I'm not so sure Daniel really even considered worshiping and following the king, not God. Because the truth of it is, the more consistently you make that choice, the more natural it's going to be. You've lived this. The more, the more consistently you lie, the more natural it is for you to lie when you're at a crossroads. The more you cheat, the more natural it is for you to cheat when you're at that crossroads in life. The more, the more that you gossip, the more that you put someone down, the more that you try to advance yourself in a corrupt or negligent way, the more that you find it natural to do so. And so you come to find this place where you're not even at a crossroads anymore. You just make a natural decision in this way. Now again, you could make that, for Daniel, you could make that a positive decision. The more, the more you say yes to God, the more you will say yes to God in the future. So maybe you're realizing today, wow, this is really hard. <laughs> this whole becoming a veteran of faith thing is really hard because, because there's so much in our culture that is pushing me this way, but I need to go this way. And so you might be thinking to yourself today, Daniel was living in a culture that celebrated sin, idol worship, and rejected the one true God. What was so special about Daniel? Did Daniel have more willpower than I do? Does, did Daniel have more divine power than I do? Are, are veterans of faith, is there something special about veterans of faith that they have something that I don't have? Is there something special about Daniel that he has something that I don't have. Now I want to read this verse again, this verse 10 again, and I want to draw out one more thing that I didn't address yet. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, 
he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. You see, Daniel knew that Babylon was not his home. Daniel knew that he was living in Babylon temporarily. He was, this was not his new home. He was not going to live here forever. Daniel knew he was only living in Babylon for a season. You see, when Daniel first entered into Babylon, he and the rest of the Israelite people were sent a letter from Jerusalem because there was this prophet named Jeremiah still in Jerusalem. And so Jeremiah was a messenger from God. God gave Jeremiah a word, and Jeremiah sent this letter into, into Babylon, into the, into the exiles. And Daniel received this letter, and he read this letter. And this is what the letter says. You can find this letter in Jeremiah 29. We have that in the ancient text of Jeremiah. And uh, I'm going to read it here. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Daniel knew when he was a teenager, Daniel knew I'm only going to live in Babylon for 70 years. I'm only, this is a temporary thing. We will, God will rescue us and bring us back to Jerusalem where we can worship the one true God again. Dan, this is not my home. Babylon is not my home. Jerusalem is still my home, is still where I will be. And so he thought to himself, I am not a citizen of Babylon. And we know this because he goes, why, why would he go to his upstairs room where his window opened to Jerusalem and give thanks and pray to God facing Jerusalem. There was nothing magical about Jerusalem. There was no law that said you must face Jerusalem when you pray, but it gave him a perspective of a future hope that I am gonna to return to Jerusalem someday because that is my home. Now, Jer that was Jeremiah 29, 10. I wanna read the verse right after that, which is Jeremiah 29, 11. We've heard this verse before, but I wanna read it to you again. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, I don't think that when Daniel read this verse, God was telling him, Daniel, guess what? You have got, I've got plans for you. And I'm going to give you hope in a future in Babylon. Babylon's going to be your new home. You're going to have so much success in Babylon. You're going to have so much impact in Babylon. Babylon is going to be your new home. And this is going to be so amazing. I've got so many great things planned for you in Babylon. And sometimes we read this verse and we think, God's got plans for me here. God's got something going on for me here. And yes, that's true. He does. He's got an amazing plan for your life, better than yours. But in the context of this verse... This verse, when Daniel read it, was, you know what? There's hope. There's hope and a future. There are plans for me to return to Jerusalem. There are plans for me to have hope and future in Jerusalem, not in Babylon. So Daniel had a future perspective about hope that was returning to Jerusalem. See, Daniel was a, vet Daniel was a veteran of faith because he had a hope for the future. Daniel knew he was a loyal subject to the one true God living in a pagan culture, but that he would return to Jerusalem one day. Now, we're not Jewish like Daniel. Jerusalem is not our home like it was for Daniel. You see, we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. That's what Philippians chapter 3 tells us. It says this, but our citizenship is in heaven. Not only that, but we eagerly await a savior from there, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is not our home. This is temporary. This world that we live in, this culture that we live in is a temporary world. These bodies that we live in are temporary bodies. We have a future home in heaven. And we will have, we, these bodies are not our bodies. We will have heavenly, beautiful, wonderful new bodies. When Jesus comes, he will transform us. Earlier in that chapter of Philippians chapter 3, it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We need to press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's what Daniel did. What was the prize for Daniel? What was he pressing on towards? The prize for Daniel was to return home to Jerusalem. And the prize for us is to return home to heaven, to worship God in a way that we cannot even worship God here. So how do we do this? How do we live as citizens of heaven and not citizens of this earth? I want to read some verses in Colossians chapter 3. Starting with verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We need to have a future perspective, and we need to set our hearts on things above. We need to set our minds on things above. See, the word set, it's a verb, it's an action. You're supposed to take an action, set, do something. You see, you cannot set your heart and minds on things above on accident. It takes intentionality for us to set our hearts and our minds on things above. See, this is what it was for Daniel. Daniel didn't accidentally set his heart and minds on things above. Three times a day, with thanksgiving, he went to the room that faced Jerusalem, opened his window, and intentionally gave thanks. And a lot of times, it's, it's, he gave thanks. He didn't give thanks. He was in Babylon. He was giving thanks that, hey, I'm not going to be here that long. I'm going, I'm going there. I'm going there. And so Daniel focused on that three times a day. So what are these things above? They're eternal things. Uh, the Apostle Paul continues in Colossians 3, verse 3. He says, For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. That is beautiful. That is eternal. See, the verse says, set your hearts and minds on things above where Christ is. And then when Christ, who is your life, you see, here's the thing about veterans of faith. Veterans of faith don't realize that, that Christ is a part of your life. He wants to be your life. Jesus doesn't want to be a part of your life. He wants to be your life. I was meeting with a group of guys uh, a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about leadership. And one of the guys said this, and it was really profound. I want to repeat it here. He said, visualize the end. We're talking about goals. We're talking about goals in life. We're talking about whenever you have a goal, it's okay, visualize the end. But then he didn't stop there. He said, visualize the end. Jesus is at the end. Visualize the end. Jesus is at the end. And this is exactly what Daniel was doing. He, when, when he opened the window and prayed to God three times a day towards Jerusalem, I, 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 vis I think he was visualizing walking into Jerusalem again and worshiping God again in Jerusalem. Now, let me explain it this way. Have you ever decided that you needed new furniture in your home? 
right? Maybe this is a daily, daily occurrence for you. And maybe you're walking through your home and say, I need a new bedroom set, or I need a new couch, or I need a new entertainment center, right? And so what do you do? You go to this place called Ikea, and you walk through showroom after showroom after showroom, and you think, wow, that could be in my house. And you think, wow, this is what my house could look like. And you, you visualize that piece right in my house here. And so you walk through and you visualize this could be in my home. And then you take that little red ticket and you go to the warehouse. And you go to this, 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 this warehouse spot and you pull this box and you say, how could what I visualized fit in a three inch tall box? And you think to yourself, okay, but, but I, I, I'm focused on what it could be, what this could be. So you take it home and you open it up. You think, look at all these pieces and look at all these tools and look at all these instructions. And you're like, okay, okay. I'm visualizing it. I can see it. I can see it in my house. I can see where it is. And so you put, start putting it together. Now, if you're like me and you're just not handy at all, you get frustrated really easily. And so when you get frustrated, you think, you know, my old couch isn't that bad. Or that old entertainment center isn't that bad. That old, that, that, that old bed isn't that bad. You know, it's not, that, it's not horrible. I'm just frustrated with this. I don't know how this can turn into what I visualized. And, and you stop focusing on the end. You stop focusing on the end product. And we do this in life sometimes. We, we, we give our lives to Jesus and we're following after Jesus with everything that we have. And then we hit a hardship. We hit something and we think, I don't know if I, I don't know if I've, I, I really still have the end, that end product in mind. See, sometimes we think to ourselves, when we followed, we, we, when we gave our life to Jesus, we could visualize what our life with Jesus could be like. We could say, this is what my life could be like with Jesus. You've heard preachers say, this is what your life could be like with Jesus, and you're visualizing what your life could be like with, like, with Jesus. And then you start living your life, and you think, this isn't what I thought. This isn't working. I'm frustrated. I'm struggling. I'm not sure how this is going to work. And then you start to think to yourself, you know what? My life with, before Jesus, it wasn't great, but I understood it, and I knew it, and it wasn't that bad. So maybe I'll, I'll do this one thing, because that's, it was, it's easier to do that. And you lose vision of what your life could be like with Jesus, and you start going back to that old life. Visualize the end. Jesus is at the end. Now, here's the thing. Norman Greenbaum his goal was not to become a one-hit wonder. No one's goal is ever to become a one-hit wonder. You want to have long, long sustained success, right? And our goal, when you, when you gave your life to Jesus, your goal was not to be a one-hit wonder when it comes to faith. But maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're at a spot where you had so much passion for your life and your relationship with Jesus five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and now you're at a point in your life where you need your faith to come to become more prominent in your life, and you're thinking, how do I do this? Well, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions. Do you know who your king is? Where does your allegiance lie? Does your allegiance li lie with your king in heaven? Or does your allegiance lie with the, the laws of this world, the, the culture of this world, what this world tells us we ought to do, what we ought to look like, what our lives ought to be? And do you know where your true home is? Do you follow the ways of this world? Is, are, are you trying to live for this world or are you trying to live for eternity? You see, maybe you don't know the answer to that question and I want you to know I want you to know today that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. He loves you so much that he sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life, to teach us how to live, not only teach us how to live, but to die on the cross for our sin. See, he wants to forgive your sin 
He wants to be your Lord, your Savior, your King. But he doesn't just want you to serve him as his loyal subject. He wants to not only be your King, he wants to be your dad. He wants to be a loving father that loves you unconditionally, no matter what you're going through. And he wants to prepare a place for you in heaven so that he can take you home there someday where you can worship him so, so closely. And if you have never, and and, and there's a way you can do that. It's surrendering your life. It's giving your life. It's saying, I am going to submit my allegiance to the one true king, God, the one that created me and sent his son Jesus to die for me. And it's to surrender, to give up and say, this is what I want my life to be about. Now, maybe you've just lost focus. How do we regain focus? See, it takes discipline and consistency to, to regain focus on an eternal perspective. So for you, it might be reciting a prayer every single day. It might be listening to a specific song every single day that brings perspective. For you, it might be doing what Daniel does. Maybe you have to set an alarm on your phone three times a day at specific times where you can pray and regain that perspective. For you, maybe you need to put a scripture as a, as a, as a, a, on, on your lock screen on your phone because you know you unlock your phone like hundreds of times a day. And you, you just have to be reminded consistently of that. There's one scripture that I've memorized and I recite daily or, or multiple times a day and, and, and it's an important scripture. Uh, the scripture comes from Revelation chapter four. And the picture is, is heaven, the throne room where the king, my Lord and savior sits. And there are these beasts, these spiritual beings around the throne and they, they say over and over again, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This verse gives me perspective to think, look at all God has done. He was the God of Israel and he was the God of Daniel and he was the God that shut the mouths of the lion. I didn't even end the story. To shut the mouths of the lion to save him, and he was the one that sent Jesus in that redemptive sacrificial act so I could become his son. And he is, he was and he is now. I am walking with him now. He is my father who loves me unconditionally now and who is to come. See, he's not just my king in the future, he's my king now, and I give my allegiance to him now, but he is that king in the future. He is going to come, and he is going to, he is going to take me to that place that he has prepared for me, who is to come. So what I wanna do to end today is I wanna read a scripture from Revelation chapter 21, which is the end which is the end. We know the end. We don't know how, we, how all the things that are going to happen in between now and then, but we know the end. So what I want you to do is I want you to just close your eyes as I read this passage. And I want you to think about the end. I want you to visualize the end. I want you to visualize you being there at the end. And then I'll close this in prayer. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself, God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning 
or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God, you are our king, and we give allegiance to you, and this place is not our home. You want to take us home. God, I pray that we would continue to visualize that. We would continue to focus on that so that those, that, that perspective could impact the, the, the decisions we make daily to be faithful to you, to be faithful to your teachings, to be faithful to your, to your leading so that we could have the crown of life, so that we can stand the test. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us everything we need today to be faithful to you. Give us a perspective today to be faithful to you. Because you, you are the God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week.